The following conversation is bonus content for patrons of the airing of grief. We'd like to remind everyone that all potential trigger and content warnings are in place. Yes. Hi. Hi. Hello. It's, it's working. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> so sorry I, for the technical hiccups. Oh, not at all. Not at all. Just glad it's working. So oh. how how are you doing, man? Uh, I'm all right. A little tired. <laughs> Long day, but um, here we are. Yep. Here we are. Is it? Uh, I don't know where you're from. Is it? Is is it nasty hot? It's gross here in um, Nashville. It was. It's cooling down a bit. Um, I think this is like the last day of the, the, the heat. It was very hot from the weekend on, and I think it's finally starting to cool down a bit. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, I don't know, Nashville's particularly gross this year and last year, <laughs> but I, I, I'm not typically comfortable in weather anyway, but I try. But I, I basically like like two weeks of November, and that's about it. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, um I, uh, I'm assuming you know the format, you're familiar with the podcast, all that stuff? You know, I've done a little bit of reading, but I have not listened to it. So I'm coming into this green. Awesome. And wherever you might take me. <laughs> well, um, the, the, our kind of thing is, is actually, yet you get to take us wherever, wherever we need to go. But um, we basically just uh, share a bit and, and, and kind of hear each other's stories, each other's experience, um, and what that's what that's looked like, what the process has been, um, where it's left you, you know, where you've landed, haven't landed, all that kind of stuff. So, um, but yeah, you know, all centered around uh, spirituality, D and reconstruction, all that kind of stuff. So, so yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to hear uh, whatever it is you'd you'd want to share. Okay, well, um, how about I give a little bit of a teensy bit of background to maybe prime what the conversation can be. How about that? Absolutely. Sounds great. So, um, oof, actually, I don't know if I can condense it. Um, well, I can say what I talked about on other because I've been I've done a number I've done a fair amount of public writing on religion mm-hmm. and things like that. And I've been involved in like religious organizing and progressive religion progressive religious activities and I've actually been on a number of podcasts recently talking about religion mm-hmm. and usually I end up talking about some mix up what it means to be black what it means to be um, black gay um, and what it means to go through your own deconstruction process in the midst of this ex-evangelical world and what that means and mm. um, and given my own history through church and all of that um, and to, to the point where I am now where I do not consider myself a believer. I don't, I don't adhere to, um, any supernatural anything mm-hmm. and how that can be tricky on numerous sides. Um, and particularly intra intra racial and extra racial right. <laughs> because that's such, still that's such a big thing. And, um, and just talking about, you know, I think what I like to talk about is just some of the specifics about my experience being going through church and just how I think one thing that often isn't really touched on much is that, you know, it really wasn't the conservative church that ultimately just helped me to decide or brought me to the place where, oh, I don't believe anymore. It was progressive church. Wow. Yeah. That, to that and I think that's something that is important to note so I mean we our conversation can go a number of ways from there I guess just wanted to prime the pump a bit and I'm ready when you are <laughs> awesome well uh, like you said with with some of the background as far as uh, that being where you come from I guess just starting a little bit with um, with the origin story you know a little little childhood a little like how how immersed in religion were you what kind was it all mm-hmm. that stuff is, is usually a good uh, contextual backdrop. Okay, perfect. You want me to start now? Oh yeah, sure, <laughs> absolutely. Are, oh, are we recording now? Um, yeah, it's it records the whole time. I edit. Oh, I edit out. No, no worries. Yeah, <laughs> it's fine. Okay, we're on. We're on. <laughs> um, 
Um, but okay. Um, all right. So as for my background, so I grew up in a pseudo Christian home. I call it Christian adjacent. Um, I grew up with the stereotypical, um, the stereotypical black grandmother uh, who went to church. Um, you know, it was just assumed that we were kind of close to Christian. I know my mom went to church a few times. She wanted us to go, things like that. I didn't want to go to church. All, you know, I thought it was boring, but I always found the ideas very interesting. Like I remember um, reading some of my grandmother's um, Bible study books and seeing all the people. And it seemed like this really big, This it just seemed like a big RPG or something. <laughs> Um, and it just seemed really cool. I remember having these ideas. But what was interesting is that my grandmother was Seventh-day Adventist. Uh-huh. Um, and so I grew up around that very, dis- you know, uh, uh, that distinct type of Christianity. And, and my grandmother, um, she wasn't Middle Eastern. I mean, not Middle Eastern. Oh, goodness. My um, Often you'll see a lot of people from the um, Caribbean or the West Indies who, you know, um, who uh, particularly people, um, Jamaicans. Uh-huh. Um, and but my grandmother wasn't any of that. Um, you know, she was just, I mean, as far as I know, regular, regular, you know, um, U.S. citizen. Um, so that was interesting. So I grew up around seven-day Adventism. Um, and that was my very first exposure to Christianity. However, in my reflection, um, what's interesting to me is that my real first understanding of God, like when I actually got it and understood it in a different way, was from Jews. Mm. Um, where I grew up. Um, in Asbury Park, New Jersey, central, you know, Jersey around there, we were around a lot of Jewish people. In fact, my my best friend, um, her mother was Jewish. Mm. And in second grade, my teacher was Jewish. Mm-hmm. And we had holiday stuff, but she taught us about Hanukkah. Right. And we learned about dreidels, and we sung the song. And when she spelled God, she had the dash where the O was, and she taught us why that was there, because, you know, you aren't supposed to say or spell the name of God. And so this idea, I just found it interesting as I progressed through my life that I was slowly but surely returning to the idea of if a God exists at all, it has to be more along the lines with the Jewish version of God is, because it's like this untouchable, unknowable, unfathomable thing. Mm. And it's not so much that you can't say it because it's bad or wrong, but because there literally is no word that you can create that would somehow encapsulate whatever God is. As soon as you label it, it's as soon as you label the thing, it's not the thing. Right, right. Everything <laughs> is reductive because yeah, language is limited. Say, yeah, as soon as you say what it is, I mean, we say that even you know in humanity too. But just talking about God, as soon as you say God is that, that no longer that ceases to become God. And so, uh, but that was like, and that I guess that stuck with me. Mm-hmm. But I just you know I didn't go up to church. I was forced to go to church. I think my dad is the one actually who rescued it for me. I guess one way or another. My mom wanted us to go, but but I was adamant against it. And my dad was basically like, listen, look, if you make him go now, he's not going to go in the future. Mm. And so I guess he was trying to protect my right to choice mm-hmm. in that regard. And so eventually, and I mean, I just think the way, and I guess I'll kill we'll on this later, as I was doing some of my own unpacking, the way that religion and Christianity and my destiny was kind of sold to me in the midst of um, a, you know, um, a very challenging childhood, um, you know, in terms of like bullying and harassment and mm-hmm. abuse and all types of things in, in school. And I was just kind of sold the idea that, you know, that the reason why these things are happening is because that God has a plan for you. Mm-hmm. This is the things that happen to special people. And mm-hmm. so you must be really special because look at all the bad things that are happening to you. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like in in recent months, just me unpacking for that, that clicking for me mm-hmm. and realizing that that kind of primed the pump for me to eventually go the route that I did. Mm-hmm. Um, that I, I'm not sure that I would have just willingly become the Christian that I did if I didn't think that it, that was the end game for me. Um, and so having to unpack all of what that was. Well, so, so then you said early on you weren't as enthused about it. So that means at some point you became more 
more wrapped up in church culture and attendance and all that stuff? Um, in my 20s, when I went, um, I went to Rutgers University, um, and there was a, a, a church up the street that people went to, and they, you know, this was like, again, the early 2000s, so, you know, the whole comfortable church thing was the rage and starting to get into that point, and so, I mean, still a very, very traditional black charismatic church, right? But awesome music, just colorful, vibrant, lively, you know, still tons of problems, but I was nowhere near um, sophisticated enough to understand what they were then. But I went there and it just felt so welcoming. The music felt so nice. It just felt so clear. And I just was like, oh, this is what you mean? Because the way my grandmother described salvation, it just seemed so arduous. And the way the pastor at the church said, just, you know, come up and give your heart to the Lord and commit and, and walk with us and you'll be all right. And I was like, oh, that's it? <laughs> <laughs> sure, I'll do it. Um, and so Grandma I Grandma was a little more hardcore. <laughs> I mean, she gave me a book. I, I, I still have the Bible that she gave me. And it says in there, you know, this is the only book that can save your life if you do what God says. And like some of those words are like underlined like three or four times. So it was very, you know. And a very standard Seventh-day Adventist type of thing. Um, but I just, the way that, you know, her, her life just seemed hard. I would always even comment, even when I would be like 10, 11 years old, and I was like, well, Nana, you don't even seem to like these people. Why would I want to go? Um, <laughs> I was one of those kids where it was, I, was, I was very precocious. And so it was just like, you know, wasn't disrespectful, but the questions that I would ask would kind of bridge the gap between, wait a minute, aren't you just a kid? Like, why are you asking these questions? Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel like you had, do you feel like you had um, maybe a, a proclivity to those questions because you already were experiencing a little bit of, of feeling different from, from recognizing that you were gay? Maybe. Um, I think, uh, I think a number of things happened. One, I mean, my background is very much like poor and then working class, mm-hmm. but, but I learned how to read really early. Thanks mm-hmm. probably also in part to my mom. So mm-hmm. I was like, able to I was like reading um you know we lived in I was born in North Carolina and then we were in Montana and my mama told me stories about how you know at certain points I was able to read the the signs of like the fast food restaurants on the highway Mm. and so you know I love books and so I just devoured books and so this idea that I could read a book and learn something was very interesting to me like you could go somewhere else that you, you, it's almost like for me learning you can be somewhere else even though you're not really there. Right. And then we lived across the street from a public library, which was like literally a treasure trove. So I, mm-hmm. we had books all the time. To the point when I probably read the majority of the books in the children's library, probably when I was about maybe six or seven. Right. Um, and so I was just gobbling up books. So I think, one, the fact that I was able to access so much information so early on probably – and, and maybe it was just me. I don't. I don't understand. Maybe about that. But then I got into comic books and then reading those. And so it's like my ability to read and understand things that were maybe a little bit ahead of where I might have been anyway. Mm. Probably had more to do with that. And then even then, as I got older, I, you know, I used to like to watch sitcoms. Mm-hmm. Um, from like, I mean, I love Lucy, Cheers, like, cause that's what my parents watch. So mm-hmm. I, I'm old enough to where Nick at Night used to come on at eight o'clock. <laughs> on Nickelodeon, no one remembers that anymore but me. Oh yeah, and actually, old. actually showed old shows. I, I'm yes. that old. I'm, I think we're like the same age. I'm 37. Okay, you're you're a little teeny bit older than me, but we're about the same age. Yeah, but, so uh, I remember that too. I used to watch all the the 50s and 60s reruns, and now it's like all 90s TV or something. It's weird. So yeah, Toby Gillis and Dick Van Dyke and yes. other things. And so I grew up watching those things. And so those are more interesting to me than even a lot of the kids shows. Mm-hmm. And so I just think that I, whatever latent talents or ability I may have had, it was nurtured on purpose and sometimes by accident. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's what kind of led to me just being able to be more inquisitive because it just to be like, well, wait a minute what do you mean about this? Or what do you mean? Cause I, I could, I could understand things and understand and I could connect dots. Mm-hmm. Um, but just by reading, you know, um, I'm like what, four or five years old. And I remember having this free where I like to learn about chicken eggs. 
You know what I mean? And so I was like, oh, well, I want to learn how they hatch. I mean, now, mind you, I didn't understand. I thought I didn't realize that you needed to, you know, actually have a rooster in a hen. So mm-hmm. I was like, Mom, can I have some of these chicken eggs? I want to hatch them. I want to put them on top of the electric pole and, and get them hatched or something. <laughs> you know, but so I was still very much a little kid, but I just. I had a brain that needed, I guess I just needed that extra jump. And I think that's what ultimately um, stayed with me through my experience of religion. Mm-hmm. Um, that I, even though I was, definitely can't say I wasn't imp- impacted and not in even in, you know, maybe not as heavily indoctrinated because I did not grow up in it. Mm-hmm. But I was definitely deeply influenced to the point where I was, you know, if they were drinking a cup of Kool-Aid, I was drinking three-fourths of a cup of the Kool-Aid. Gotcha. <laughs> I was far behind, so I don't make it seem like, oh, well, I was, no, 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 no. I was deep into it. Right, and, and I mean, there's so much of it just in American culture in general. It seems like it, it sort of gets, it gets everybody a little bit. Everybody seems to know a lot of the presuppositions, and, you know, people are people are familiar even with, with like, the whole left-behind thing that have never even been to a Protestant or evangelical church. They just they just sort of suck it up from culture. They yeah. know They know a lot of the mythology. And, and yeah, I always, I always am fascinated by that, by how much people who, who don't even go to church seem to know that I, that I was, you know, steeped in heavily. But, yeah. So you're in your 20s then, and, and, and that's when you got more serious about it, though. And then how long did that period last? Oh, it lasted probably... Ugh. I mean, I have been around most, if not all, of the Christian blocks. And if I haven't been around it, at least I've been able to see it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, when I, again, like I said, I was exposed, my first exposure to Christianity was the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to summer camps at an Episcopal church across the street and a Catholic church across town. Um, when I decided to become a Christian myself, uh, black charismatic church, um, got to be involved in a lot of things. I actually, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if you know, like Bishop Carlton Pearson and all of that. I actually, um, I actually saw and experienced um, a church that kind of went off on him when he was saying his stuff during that whole big ordeal. Are you aware of, of that time period? I, I feel like I know the name, but I don't remember the ordeal. So Bishop Carlton Pearson, who was a very, very big deal, black charismatics, um, you know, put, I mean, actually I wrote a primer on it on Medium. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you remind me, I could share it with you on Twitter. Okay. <laughs> but um, I mean, he was at my church and I saw what happened to him when he started to talk about universalism and things like that. Oh, okay. Um, and so I saw that, uh, went to school, went, I mean, at Rutgers, you know, very, again, deeply involved. And I even joined a Christian fraternity um, and did a lot of work with that. Um, you know, uh, decided I wanted to go into ministry. Eventually I ended up going to school. So I went to Howard University School of Divinity. Um, and it was more than what I bargained for, even though I loved it. Um, and my minor was in religion at Rutgers. So just the idea of studying religion wasn't really a problem for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's when some of my own deconstruction, I guess I could say the baby parts of it started. Um, a lot of issues start to pop up for me, you know, it's in my twenties, just the thing, you know, things from childhood, things, you know, that were unresolved in the sexuality piece started to, um, to really bubble over. Um, to the point where I need to make, you know, just became more of an obvious thing for me. Um, but I learned so much. And I think in Divinity School is when I actually, because at one point in Divinity School, I was like, okay, well, what's the point of church? Because I was going to very, you know, conservative churches. And I just wasn't, I, I was thinking, because I was always told, oh, it's good to study the Bible. Oh, it's good to do theology. It's good to go really, really dig your nose in this type of stuff. But when I went to go do it, I didn't realize that there was such a difference between theological education at like an actual school and theological education that people often got in like little side shoots and things like that, like little, or I didn't realize that, I didn't understand that a place like Howard, you know, or Duke or, um, you know, or some place like that would be way different than like Dallas Theological Seminary or something like that. I know I had no idea the differences. And so I would take what I learned in school and then I'd go to small group and I'd wonder why everybody was looking at me strange. Mm. 
And I and when I was in divinity school, I went to I'm, you know the theater churchman was a big deal then. You know, I don't know if it still is now, but it was a really big deal then. So I went to a couple of church theater churches mm. and just ran some of the same issues, like really struggling and honestly hating the men's ministry groups every time I would be a part of them. Mm. Um, just hating those. Um, and yeah, just a number of things and situations, just a number of them. Um, yeah. So, so, and you said, and it was, it was in more liberal circles that that started to unravel. Was there something specific you noticed? Like say, say maybe you already felt a bit more distant from the conservative expression of it. And then you found yourself in a more liberal expression of it. And what was it in particular about the liberal expression of it that, that, uh, still seem to fail you or help, you know, help with the dismount, I guess, from belief? Um, well, the, the heart of belief came, the, the part what I would say label the disbelief part, probably I would say more is within the last year. Mm-hmm. If I go back to, I say, at Divinity School, at that point, I was at Howard from 2009 to 2012 for Divinity School. And during that time, same-sex marriage was a hot-button topic in D.C. and in Maryland. Mm-hmm. And so it was just wars. Like we had protesters out in front of the school. People were threatening to withdraw students. It was just a lot. It was a whole lot. And so I got, even though from in, at that point in time, I was still wrestling and questioning with myself, being exposed to that level of homophobia day in, day out, well, you know, was pretty traumatic in that regard. Mm. Um, I was, were, you, were you openly, were you out then? No, no way. Um, I was just still just thinking through me and, and myself, but, you know, but still now realizing how much of an impact that's had on me. Because mm-hmm. um, I was still wondering and thinking going back and forth. And I had some experiences there that made me really stop and think. But it was just like at, at Howard is where I was like, oh, wow, maybe this really is whatever. But um, I went to I mean, because I'm a glutton for punishment, I went. After I got my degree at Howard, I went to Wesley Theological Seminary because I wanted to get a PhD, but I needed more writing experience. So I did that. And that's where I think I really went full-blown into progressive Christianity. Mm-hmm. Because progressive Christianity and black people is kind of, it's a challenging label. Mm-hmm. Um it's not that there aren't progressive black Christians, but so much of progressive Christianity is very, is upper class and, 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 um, academic and, and white. Mm-hmm. That's really hard to put those same things in the balance and that the black Christian experience can take a bunch of stuff from that bucket. and still not be considered progressive. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so it's just a challenging label, even though there are people who want, who a decent amount of people who want to work in advance and change things, it's just difficult to put that label on it without really bumping up into the wall of, oh, well, maybe this label doesn't really fit. But um, I, I think when I was at Wesley is when, Wesley is when I came out first, you know, personally and then professionally. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, you know, at the end of my Wesley career when I came out, well, not, not exactly the end, um, almost toward the end. I was in the United Methodist Church at that point. And, oh, I didn't tell you about, I'm sorry, am I meandering too much? No, not at all. This is <laughs> so, awesome. So when I was at Wesley, I was still, I left, um, well, actually, no, when I was still at Howard, I left the theater churches and I actually did my field education. Well, the second part of it, I started at a really great um, African-American Episcopal church. And I really liked it there. It was a lot. I grew a lot. Um, learned a lot. And even some lessons that I learned there to this day, I still use in dealing with people, not just even the outside church, just with people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think with that, um, what else, what else, what else? Um, that was good. But again, um, I was at various points, I was massively depressed at some points at my points in Howard, like just, but I didn't know what depression really was. I mean, like just, Ooh, it was bad. Um, too much drinking, all types of stuff to try to build the pain and whatever. Um, and I remember, you know, I graduated from Howard and went to Wesley. And I remember toward the end of my tenure at that church, um, one of the pastors who I think is a great guy was an inspiration to me. He, I was on the pulpit and he said something, you know, very, like it wasn't 
blatantly homophobic, but it was homophobic. He was like, you know, basically talking about how he was on the basketball court and some guy whispered in his ear. He's like, oh, well, you know, I don't know what you're doing. I'm not with that funny stuff. And everybody laughed on the pulpit and the, and, and, you know, in the congregation, just everybody was just laughing. And the laughing lasted longer than I realized, you know, it just seemed like it lasts forever. And I think that when that happened, I was on my way out. Mm. Even though I, at that point I had not literally labeled myself gay just yet. When that happened, it was just like, oh, okay. Yeah, it's like the, it sort of became clear there wasn't the same amount or the same kind of space being made for you. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, so they, yeah, they, they, they loved me to pieces. Like, they, they definitely cared about me. It wasn't a whatever type of situation. Uh, so it definitely wasn't, you know, it's rough because it's easy when somebody is like, you know, and you know what? I hate to say violently homophobic because there is even violence to what he did. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? In, in my view. Mm-hmm. But it's easier if someone is like, you know, using a bunch of slurs and just being mean, talking about killing people or whatever. It's it's that's one thing. But when it's somebody who is like in other in other areas, like oh, everything is fine, it's cool, it's great. And all of a sudden, boom, you're kind of slapped with this homophobia out of nowhere. You don't see it coming. Mm-hmm. And that kind of sucks. So. That happened, I was on the way out. When I left, it was more about the idea of, oh, I'm leaving because, you know, I need more money, more opportunities or whatever. I don't really see anything here. Or don't, you know, I want to go to school. They had, the got met the church, has more money. That's what I said then. And that's, what, you know, but now I can see that, no, that was really what was going on. So I was in the Methodist Church, and that went well. You know, I was in the Baltimore, Washington region. I was connected to some really great people. Everything was going well. And then I realized that, you know, integrity was a really important thing for me. And when I, when I came out personally, like to myself and to the people around me, it was, I, there was a certain type of life I wanted to set myself up to have. Mm. And I realized that where the Methodist church was and just doing some political math and talking to people is like, well, why do I want to wait four years for you to realize that I'm human? It's like I'm more qualified and educated and skilled than a lot of the people who you're shifting through here mm. who are doing things that are actually an issue of character. My, me being gay is not an issue of my character. Right. There are people who are awful who you are laying hands on. Mm-hmm. Right. And so for me, it was an issue of integrity. And so I ended up leaving and I be, went to the United Methodist. I went to the United Church of Christ mm. <laughs> for about a couple of years. Oh, wow. So you're making the rounds. Yeah, I was. So, I mean, at that point, it was like, oh, that was that was the place to go, the place to be. And I had some good times, but it just wasn't a good situation. And I think that just I think and a number of people have said the same thing. If you ask, particularly for black folks, but just in general, I mean, just for women and queer folks in general, and particularly also particularly for black people, is that progressive spaces aren't necessarily the bee's knees. It's not always the best situation. Right. You know? um, and I struggled. A part of that was with the congregation that I was at, that, that I was working with. And, you know, God bless them, you know, older congregation, just not a lot of, this just wasn't a, enough oomph to really support a someone like me. Um, and we had some other issues as well. Also, it's just me. I just think I'm of a generation where church as usual is just like, well, no. Um, you know, and so I was burnt out. I mean, I was in a PhD program at the same time. And so I just really experienced a lot of burnout. And so I took a church break for a long time. And that church break went on and on and on until I've had some, had some personal hardships. And I think just... You know, as time went on, it just became harder and harder to hold to this idea of a good, kind, loving God Mm -hmm. um, that was just intimately involved. And then just some personal issues with progressive Christianity where, you know, just, you know, even though um, like a lot of tokenism, um, a lot of, you know, we'll call you in and welcome you, but still treat you like crap type of thing. Yeah. And I myself, you know, I, I, I mean, I'm not some big deal speaker, but I was, you know, frequently invited to come speak at things and, and offer my comments and facilitate lessons and sit on a panel or whatever. And I realized that I was becoming the token black gay. Mm. Even around other black people, I was the token black gay. Mm. 
Um, and I just didn't like that. Because it's like, oh, you're only inviting me here because you think that I'm going to be the nice guy or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then that turns me being a nice guy to being called the angry queer all the time. And mm-hmm. it's just a lot. So it's just like, that kind of said, well, I think all of that had a piece of it to do. But then I think too, just my all of that kind of mixed together. And I ended up coming to a place where belief, I, I even kind of reckon to it as a spiritual experience, which may seem strange. I don't know. No, it seems, it seems, that seems right on. <laughs> it seems like I pushed past belief in like God is like, well, I, it's, it's, it's me. It's us. It's somehow calling out there won't do anything. And frankly, in my view, it hasn't done anything. Um, and I know sometimes talk, when people talk like that, it's harsh. I ever want to be the angry, you know, the angry atheist or anything like that. But I just think that it's really hard for me to see how we can argue that belief has had a net positive for humanity. Not that it hasn't facilitated good things, but those good things have also been accomplished through a number of other means too. Mm-hmm. It's not as if there's something special or unique about religion that if we were to remove it would totally cause the collapse. But then I also separate religion and faith. Like, I don't think that religion needs theism to survive. Like, I think that people, atheists are religious. Mm-hmm. The people at concerts are religious. Right. It's a very human impulse. But the idea that um, I just, particularly Christianity, it's like, I, it's hard to argue um, that Christianity, even when good people have done good things with it, I mean, just look at even our country now. Like, look at, like, you. If God is real, you can argue that God really likes Trump voters. Right. There's more of an argument that God likes Trump voters than that God is on the side of the oppressed. Like, you know, like, like, you know, James Cone and um, Howard Thurman and such. And, yeah. and, and it's, it's, in my view, it's much more evidence that God is on the side of the oppressors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, because they never, they never seem to notice that they're on the wrong side of the power dynamic, even by their own biblical narrative. Mm-hmm. And like yeah. you said, that, that can get frustrating even in progressive circles where there's not only tokenism, like you mentioned, but there's a lot of kind of window dressing changes or, or like sort of exterior paint changes. But a, a lot of the, the biggest questions fundamentally that have to do with justice, which, you know, like Cornel West says, is what love looks like in public and have to do with systemic realities are still never addressed, never brought up. Mm-hmm. And, and, and yeah, that's been, that was a, a huge source of frustration for me and why, as I, as I kind of gravitated out of conservative circles, I didn't immediately feel at home in progressive ones either because it felt like lip service being paid to the sort of change in the sort of world that I wanted to see. Mm-hmm. And that's hard. It's, it's almost harder from that side of things because because those are the folks who are saying that they're sympathetic to it. Yeah, those are supposed to be the good guys, and you can't talk about the good guys. Right. Uh, yeah, that's been my struggle too. It is just, I mean, I, I acknowledge that my politics and views are, are pretty much to, you know, the left. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I acknowledge that up front, but I think just even in simple things, like when we talk about things like ordination and other types of situations, it's like, um, I've been in many situations where it'd be like, oh, okay, if you actually want to make things better for marginalized communities, you can do X, Y, Z, and then no one would do them. Mm-hmm. You got a nice breakfast and some nice talking about it, but no one actually did anything to fix it, you know? Right. Or like one of my main complaints about ordination has, would be that it's like, you know, and even when people ask me now, like somebody just asked me and sent me a message asking me, you know, what are my thoughts on seminaries they wanted to go? And my thing was I said, I said, don't go. <laughs> <laughs> And there was like, why I said, because, well, think about whatever I said, this, I'm going to honest on front that I'm not a believer. I said, so, so I want to say that up front so you don't think that I'm manipulating you. You ultimately do what you want. But coming from my own experience, it's like, look, you're black, you're a woman. Um, you know, first figure out what it is. Why do you want to even do ministry? And if you can do that without going to school, do that. If for some reason you just have to go to school or this is what you want to do, really, like, who's going to pay for it? Because that's the thing. It's like you're going to be investing a lot of time if you're thinking that, oh, well, one day I'm going to be the pastor of a church. No, you're probably not. 
And if you are, it's probably, I mean, by the time you're done, I mean, they're, even in black denominations, there are, you know, even the black denominations that ordain women and let them be pastors, you know, it's not an abundance of churches going around. Even when they are, those churches usually go to men. And so mm-hmm. if you can't pay for school and you're $80,000 in debt, you know, trying to, you're $8,000 in debt, trying, jockeying for a job that will maybe will pay you 50000 if you're lucky. Mm-hmm. This is just a setup. Don't do it. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you try to separate, do you want to go to seminary or are you just curious about the faith and want to learn more? Because I can send you a book list. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I can tell you books to buy, but don't do it. Um, it's more of a trap. It's, and I think that people who, I think that people who are very devoted in their re, in their religion are actually very vulnerable, particularly when they say, "Oh, well, I'm called," because then you get you think about how much money you is made off of people who are saying they're called. You know, it's hundreds of thousands. Just one person, hundreds of thousands of dollars get to be, you know, swirled around off of one person saying, "Oh, I'm called." Particularly for like bigger denominations, and I'm all for people being educated, you know, theologically. It's just that. You know, you're asking marginalized communities who already struggle financially and economically to either shut up money they don't have or to indebt themselves for the rest of their life for a calling. You know, it just it's it's real. It it takes advantage of people mm-hmm. in my yeah, um, absolutely. And 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 without you know, I'm one of my main gripes, even you know, being you know, when I was in the when I was in the UCC or anything like that, it was like you know, your fate is decided by people who never did anything like what you're doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or and then in other situations, I would always say is like you know, you all are saying you want someone like me, young, you know, energetic, um, black, may all these things. I'm not asking you to cheat. I'm just asking you, how do we? Like, I'm literally asking you to do a job that nobody else really wants to do. Why is this difficult? Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm not asking you to fax me over my ordination orders tomorrow. Right. Well, as, you know, what I'm, what I'm saying is, why is this, why so many hoops? And so what happens is if, if um, you know, because of that, that bottleneck, you have, you know, it's going to be hard for people to get through unless you, you know, if you're not, you know, you know, you know, excuse the phrase, but unless you're like, you know, some, you know, an, an older white person with money in the bank right. who can do CPE for free in the summer because they have nothing else to do or because they have somebody else footing their bills, who's going to get ordained? Not many people. Right. Or it'll take them forever to do it, you know? It just, it, it, it's, so I totally um, agree with you with that. It's like, it's a lot of lip service. Um, As a cycle of power favoring those who already have some power, some degree of power, that, yeah. that all of that continues and repeats. And I would, I would argue, I, I mean, I'm sure it's this way in other circles, but I, I've, in a lot of progressive spaces, they replicate those same power dynamics. It's just that they have marginalized identities at the helm. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes like this cross battle. And so it's like, oh, okay, we have a black woman bishop. Net, yay, black woman bishop. But she says something transphobic and she's caught up on it. And it's like, well, no, you can't say that. You can't talk against her because black women, like it's people take actual real like historic stories mm-hmm. and and trends and weaponize them against other people and so it's like oh well look you know we have a black gay man as a pastor who is still preaching a prosperity gospel and when you call them out on it it's like oh well you can't why are you trying to drag us down that like you know right. that it's like it's and so it's this idea that if you just it's a very much a faces in places idea. Yeah. But that recognizing that maybe the place itself is bad. <laughs> right. So there's there's like an embrace, an, an outward appearance of embracing some degree of intersectionality just to manipulate and abuse by using the, the appearance of, of welcoming that. That is, that is yeah. Wow. Well, that's because most people don't actually understand what intersectionality is. Like, it's a buzzword. And I'm sure, I mean... Kimberly Crenshaw, who, you know, who coined the term, she says it all the time. It's like, it's, people are using it wrong. Like people, when people say intersectionality, they mean it as, 
a list, like a grocery list. It's like, oh, look, we're having an intersectional event, which again is impossible if you know what intersectionality actually means. Like we're having an intersectional event, meaning that we have men and we have a queer person, we have a trans person and an immigrant and a black woman. And so now we're intersectional and that is not what intersectional means. Intersectional is talking about the ways that varying oppressions overlap due to our identities. Mm -hmm. And so it really is trying to highlight the oppression, our experiences of oppression, not trying to, it's not about a list. And I think that's what a lot of progressive places miss is that, oh, we're intersectional because we have, look, it's someone like you. And the reality is, even though like it could be me and someone else who's gay, right? And we both could be black, but if this person is rich and I am not, it's actually a wide chasm of experiences that they have can navigate in a void that I yeah. can't. And I think that's the, the problem with mislabeling intersectionality and just treating it as if it's a, you know, it's like a scavenger hunt to right. a lot of people. It's like, oh, we're intersectional. And it's like, well, this, a person can't be intersectional. That's not what she meant. And she actually says what she means time and time again, but it's just like, because it's a buzzword, people ignore it. The same thing with respectability politics. People do the same thing with that too, so. Right, so it just becomes another form of tokenism? Yeah, it's just a tokenism, and it and, and it's used in ways that actually obscure what the reality is. Like, it's, the whole point is to understand how oppressions interlock. Like, to take my life is to understand that not only am I black, but I'm also, you know, gay, and then I'm also working class and, and poor. Mm-hmm. You know, and then also I have a chronic condition. Mm-hmm. And so you put all those things together. How does that impact how I move through the world? That intersection of all of those things. Right. It's not to list all of my, like we treat intersectionality as if it's, you know, you get you go to an event and you get a name tag. Hello, my name is Black. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Hello. Right. My name is cisgender woman. Like that's kind of how it, we do it, and it's like that's not really. It totally misses the point, and it actually makes things worse when we do it that way because we're not. It doesn't highlight the material conditions that we face, mm-hmm. um, and that actually that's what needs to really change the material conditions of people in their in their opportunities and their ability to flourish. And I think that's something that progressive religion. Um. I can say that I've been on more of the more radical edges where people are thinking that way and doing that work, and I appreciated those moments. But I think by and large, a lot of progressive religion, progressive Christianity in general, needs to get more there. It's still more about opting into a system mm-hmm. instead of trying to say, what else can we create that's better? And I always say that this might be me, again, this is probably me veering into angry atheist territory. I don't even consider myself an atheist, even though I don't believe in, and we can talk about that, <laughs> why I don't. <laughs> but um, I just say, you know, for people who go to some, you go, every Sunday you go, you talk to somebody who you can't see, mm-hmm. and you believe that, you know, like, do you, I think at some point I started to ask, I was like, you know, what is, like conservatives, of course, all the problems in the world, but they actually believe this stuff. And someone's like, well, progressives, well, what do y'all, what do y'all actually believe? I don't know what you believe. I don't know what you're for. Um, and the idea, I mean, isn't the whole point, Jesus didn't want to reform, you know, well, well, let me not put it that way. Jesus wanted, Jesus didn't just want to tweak things here and there. You know what I mean? Like the, even, even the idea of like the Christian idea of God coming back is a new heaven and a new earth that things are remade mm-hmm. to, to fit everyone better. And that's even evident in the Hebrew scriptures. Like, you know, like, you know, plows, you know, swords will be beaten into plowshares and all of that type of stuff. Like it's, it's a very Jewish idea of the world being reformed, not in the idea of tweaks, but reformed and reshaped in that Genesis type of way. Mm-hmm. to where there's something different than what was there before. So that everyone can experience joy and peace. And it really feels like Christians, particularly progressive ones, not all, and maybe the people's movement will help to change that a bit, but it just seems like people, it's like, they want, they don't really want to change things, they just want a piece of the pie. Mm. 
without realizing that if we have the get a piece of the pie mentality, then it's going to still be other people who don't get the pie. And I'm not really interested in recreating harmful systems and just putting black and brown and queer faces in them. I'm not interested in that at all. Wow. Yeah. That's good stuff, man. That is good stuff. So you said it's been about a year, I guess, since you reckoned with that being kind of over for you, that in, like any part of it clinging to your own sense of belief or faith or whatever. Is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So maybe a good question to to go to from there would be where where has that left you over the past year? Um, do you feel do you feel a greater sense of embodiment? Do you do you feel like you've learned um, anything in particular since having that 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 be recognized have you um is there anything that that's been you know kind of a light bulb moment or anything like that over the past year hmm i think a number of things one uh it's been freeing but it's also been challenging um i know that where i am now is the most authentic place where i am at the moment but it also meant that I was disconnected from a lot of friends and a lot of coworkers and co-laborers. I meant being disconnected from them. Um, it also meant that my personal experience isn't exactly honored. Like I had a lot of really, really good friends and loved them dearly, but they're just all about church and church isms and this, that, and the third. And that's who they are. I get that. Um, so I don't necessarily need to change that. But it's difficult to, to share and discuss things with them because they just, you know, that's all they know. And they don't, the little things that people say, they don't realize. There's another thing that for me, progressive Christianity misses is that, you know, it's just that I don't want to hear that everything's going to work out for the good mm. because I know that's not true. There's mm-hmm. no guarantee that it will. Um, and even if it was ultimately true some thousands of years from now, like what does that do for anybody suffering well, now? Well, yeah, it's like it doesn't matter. It's like suffering is corrosive and destructive now. Um, and it's not because, you know, it's just it, – it, it just asks – I believe – and this really might be strange, but I, I, in, in some ways the older ideas about having multiple gods make sense. You know, like the whole idea of, you know, you have a God for this and a God for that and a God is for that over there because it's different aspects of reality in life that are conflicting and and chaotic one another. And even though it's still divinity, that to me makes more sense than a God who is ultimately good, nothing but pure good and pure love. Because if that's the case, what like as the phrase goes, God is either all powerful or good. God can't be both. Yeah. And so, if God is all powerful but does nothing, what's the point? It's it, it, you know, like like that. That's really terrible. Mm-hmm. It means that even a five-year-old can be have a better moral character than God does. Mm-hmm. But if God is all good and can't do anything, what's the point? Right. Like, what, what's the what's the point of God being on my side if God is going to get crucified just like me? Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't make it. It's no point for know for me personally. It's like what what's the point of a God on my side that can't rescue me? that can't deliver me like in that very biblical sense of being delivered from danger you know um and i don't mean getting little tidbits to sustain me along the way and i don't mean getting you know like like hagar and then you know seeing you know something in you know in the desert a well or whatever i don't mean that because she's because hagar was still in the desert That well is great, but what happens when the water runs out? You know, it's still hot, everything, all that stuff's going on. And even that situation, Hagar doesn't do any, you know, nothing happens to Sarah or Abraham who abused the slave. Right. But for a lot of people, that's the idea of God. And to me, it's like, what's the point in that? I can do that. You know what I mean? Like, you know, God is much with us on the streets. That doesn't... I mean, it's... I understand because I was a person of deep faith. Just from so so I understand the impulse. It's just that for me now, it's like, well, what's the point? I don't understand the reason or the need for this because I don't see the actual outcome. Like we don't expect people in our lives who we love to to leave a negligible outcome on how we feel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so why would I expect any less of somebody who is who is supposed to be better than the best person? Right. Uh, 
which doesn't make sense to me. And um, if God is responding to things like prayer and, and all that stuff, it's like when you look at the world around you and you see how arbitrary the response seems to be, that even a, an all-powerful, supposedly all-powerful God in that it's like, yeah, how can I connect with that as a person? How can I connect with the character of that being if everything they do seems so random and so out of sorts with what needs to be done the most? You know, like, why don't we, why don't we worry about this thing over here? Um, you know, families are being separated or, or um, there's famine over here or, you know, some government has been overthrown and these people are starving. And, and it's like, that never seems to be the concern, but, but there's this, like, you know, blessed to be in the USA and thank you for the parking spot and, you know, say yeah, a little prayer at the, the sports and, game. God healed this person with cancer, but that other person didn't. And, you know, and just the idea that this, that somehow it makes you special. Mm-hmm. And, and that gets complicated when you deal with marginalized communities. And I acknowledge that, you know, because it's, you can use religion for resistance mm-hmm. and to do that type of thing. So I do acknowledge that. Like, that's very, very true. At the same time, though, it just, it begs the question, do you actually believe this? Or is it just, I mean, for a lot of people, it's cultural. It's just what you do. It's not so much about the God and the theologies of it. It's just that, oh, I want to be around the people. It's, it's the human function that religion serves. It's a very human thing. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think I'm really big on not denigrating we can be critical of it, but not denigrate it necessarily because it's very human. All of us are, I mean, when I'm watching my favorite anime and I see them do this really, really great scene, I just feel the sense of, oh, wow, that was just whatever. So that's religion. Like this mm-hmm. idea, like maybe it's a quirk of our humanity that we just, we, we have such a, a powerful self-awareness that we just this just makes sense that we would do and believe the things that we tend to do. Mm-hmm. It ha- we have to find some way to make sense of the fact that we're here. And I mean, think about it. Like no other animal is aware that they're going to die. Right. You know what I mean? Like we're not a, we don't, we're not, you know, a tiger isn't pondering, well, why is the lightning coming from the sky? Or, you know, like they just, they just, they're in the moment. They're, they're there. They don't have that power. And maybe just the fact that we have such, you know, such brain power is what leads us to think about religion and, and, and to be religious in those ways. Mm-hmm. But um, I guess some other things that may be challenging is, again, it's like it's learning to articulate my what I think and what I believe. And I, honestly, what has been helpful for me is Bruce Lee. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> if that's strange or not. No. But, you know, um, Bruce Lee was not a He didn't believe in any type of God. Um, and it's funny because he said, you know, somebody asked him, does he believe in God? He said he believes in sleeping, if, I get, if I'm getting the quote correct. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? But he just didn't believe in a God. He didn't believe in that. And there was a quote that he had. I'm terribly paraphrasing, but, you know, he has this thing, you know, bigger than faith, whatever, that he has flowing through him. Like he had talked about an energy that he had in him and his idea about him being and doing all he wanted to do on his own, his idea of faith. And 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 chi and energy and all of that, and I like that. It resonates with me, um, given my martial arts experience and all of that. But it also, he was talking about some divine thing that you have to like pray to get. He was talking about what he, what he had in the, on the inside of himself, mm-hmm. um, and he developed that thing that was in himself. And I think to me, that's what really matters. Um, he developed that thing from himself, and for me. He shaped the world around him based off that inner vigor that he had. And I think that's really important. So I relate to that. That was helpful for me. But also just learning that there are a fair amount, particularly like the whole idea is that there are no black atheists, which again isn't true, (laughs) um, and no black humanists, um, that that's not true either. Mm -hmm. And just seeing that there are more people who look and sound like me who have also done and said this. Mm -hmm. Um, Because it's just the idea, like, except for like, I, I have trouble labeling myself an atheist not because of the implications i think technically i am um but that label i'd rather be defined by what i'm for um and so for me thinking of myself as a humanist is much more helpful than thinking of oh well i'm an atheist Mm -hmm. um i think honestly i'm both because who knows maybe there is something out there none of us really know Mm -hmm. 
But because there's no clear evidence, and the evidence that's being presented is very crappy at best, mm-hmm. I choose not to put my faith in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't believe it because I'm not, I, I, I was convinced as I looked at the evidence more and more and found it lacking, then I became unconvinced. Mm-hmm. But hey, if something were to happen, if, whatever, who knows, maybe there is something out there. None of us know. None of us have gone somewhere or come back to say anything. And maybe the fact that we, that religions sometimes tend to have a common theme means that that has to do more with our common humanity than a common God. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, no, there, there's no bit of evidence that someone presents about divinity that can't be also explained through us just being people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Well, and um, it's not like you don't lose the best parts of what you, what you experienced, what you learned, what you processed while in a religious structure, it's not like you lose those when you walk out, you know, you keep your compass, you keep the things that are dear to your heart that, that have to do with humanity. And, you know, you, you funnel those into like you're saying humanism or whatever else. There's always this, this kind of judgment made about people who lose their faith that they're all suddenly nihilists or something like that. And I actually see a lot more nihilism from people of faith, you know, in that they don't seem to care about, the world around them. They don't seem to care about the environment. They don't seem to care about all these things that it's like they're claiming this absolute faith, but it's in something entirely intangible. And the more, more, the more of the people I've known who have wanted to see a tangible reality interact with their faith have, have ended up burnt by the system somehow and ended up leaving it and, but still absolutely holding close all the things that they valued. It's like those things don't go away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like I changed. I had to change my idea of what hope was, mm. um, and for me too. I mean, I think Jesus is great. Um, I like Jesus a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of my, I, I mean, one of the reasons me, my ideas, my politics, my views have been so profoundly shaped by a very radical understanding of Jesus. It's still with me to this day. It's probably easier for me to even still use scripture in close stuff of Jesus. Mm-hmm talk about why I believe what I believe, like, you know, but it's always the question that people don't necessarily look toward, like Matthew 25, I talk about how, you know, particularly if progressive space, where it's like, you know, everybody, come on, come on. It's like, well, actually, here's one where Jesus says you can't come mm-hmm. because of who, what you, who you are, what you've done and what you haven't done, mm-hmm. you know, um, and it's something that progressive is like, oh, everybody come, it's like, Mm-mm. Jesus said there's a banquet in it and not everybody can come to the banquet. Everybody can't come. Because you don't treat people right. So you can't go. Mm-hmm. You know, or Jesus talking about, you know, Jesus was pretty violent. I, you know, I don't come to bring peace for the sword. Or if you hurt one of those little ones, it's, you know, it's better to be to, to, to drown with the millstone tied around your neck type of thing. Mm-hmm. That's violent. That's not mm-hmm. nonviolent. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jesus thinking that, I mean, I think the real thing about Jesus is that, think about it. If Jesus was you know, wanted the Romans gone and he wanted the Jewish homeland back. How do you think it would have happened? Does he think that God would have come and hugged the Romans out of Palestine? (laughs) (laughs) You know, even though he himself was not the one, you know, brandishing a sword, it wasn't as if Jesus thought that he was going, you know, God wasn't going to care bear stare the Romans out of Palestine. He just wasn't. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and I think that's the thing that's like, this is like, no, just like the rapture is pretty violent when you stop and think about it. Jesus, that view, that's a violent view. I mean, yes, they're the Romans and they're the bad guys, all of that. But this wasn't nonviolence. This was like, I don't have to kill you. My daddy will. Mm. <laughs> that's not that's not pure nonviolence. That's I don't have to do it. Somebody else will do it for me. Mm-hmm. You know, and mm. so. I hold Jesus in those ways that might be kind of like, eh, it's kind of complicated. But I mean, even the, the, the sack on the temple for me, is like that just, I did a research paper on that at Divinity School and just talking about it. And for me, it's just knowing what the temple was and what it served as attacking the, you know, the theological and social and economic center of Roman occupation you don't nonviolently turn over tables and crack a whip to the point where people are, are running out of the temple. This is a big, serious place. And so 
he's cra- you know he it, this was just some not some little old thingy if he did all that to cause that commotion to the point where he had to run and hide and that the authorities went to find him this wasn't just some little old you know i think even with progressive folks jesus is very lovey-dovey mm-hmm. to the point where it's like sure yeah whatever but this is somebody who really struck tried to strike at the heart of what was going on and why things were bad mm-hmm. and yeah. for me that really shaped how i viewed um as i progressed along my way and I, as i still do i can probably talk about that far easier than i can about you know a lot of humanist stuff and ideas and things like that. Like, again, the divinity part isn't really something that I'm concerned with, but the idea of Jesus as somebody whose writings and understandings have influenced my way of how to treat people and that we should all have, we like the idea of centering human dignity. Mm. I got that from a very rad, a, a very radical understanding of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So I still have that left with me. Man, this is yeah. This is all such good stuff. I'm so thankful to be able to talk to you today. Um, we have gone a bit over time, <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> but uh, I appreciate you hanging with me this long because we, um, when we started this all, you know, we were doing ten minute calls only, and that began to feel really suffocating, you know. So, mm. um, is there anything else you've been thinking, processing, or, or really feel like is important? to share at this this sort of stage of the the dialogue in the public and all that other thing the stuff i would say hmm. so it's missing from the public dialogue i would say i guess in facing toward religion that to really sit with and interrogate um and this might be just because of the circles that i am privy to and was in and, and adjacent to but just the idea that justice is inevitable. Mm-hmm. What I'm really interested in is religious harm mm-hmm. and how to heal from religious harm. And I think that's something that's very important for people, whether they end up to be like me or they change their beliefs. But the idea, and I think for more progressive folks too, to understand that religion itself the way it's handled, particularly Christianity, even if it's progressive, can, per- can perpetuate a lot of harmful things. Mm-hmm. And that's a really work, I wanna see more people work through ways to help all of us heal of the damage that Christianity, right or left, has done and is doing to us. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that needs to be discussed more thoroughly and not just seen as, a, oh, well, it's just a belief, get over it. It's like, no, there are lots of things, I know for myself, there are lots of things that were attached to my beliefs that were forced on me or given to me that I still have to untangle to this day. So I would like to see more people get involved in that healing work and not just, you know, take a, you know, I traded my bad Jesus. I, I traded my conservative Jesus for a Jesus who likes to have sex and likes to smoke weed and like, right. it's fine. I mean, fine, sure. But what about the harm? Right. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's why we're doing, that's why we're doing this is we don't think it's as simple as just saying, okay, I'm done, you know, and there's so many people feeling scattered and, and disenfranchised in so many different ways. And we had someone who, who we talked to earlier that said, um, you know, you don't just leave Christianity once you keep leaving it. And because yeah. that harm that lingers, at least that's kind of how the, the way I've been crunching it. Yeah, and you know, I wish we could have talked more about like the grief and the things that and the stuff and the the, I think the relationships and the attachments and all those things that people go through. It's like it's a it's a it's a deep mourning process and it takes time. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's about realizing that again, everybody won't end up where I am, and I realize Mm -hmm. that. If nothing else, I want where I am to be respected and engaged honestly, even as. I disagree. Like I have friends who are very religious and it's like, look, we just disagree here and it's fine. But I'm as strongly as people are like, let's trust God. I'm going to also say, "Mm, I don't think there's, I don't think there's a God there. Mm -hmm. And the responsibilities on us. Mm -hmm. Like we have to figure something out. Right. And we have to do it. Um, 
Yeah, because I think I think that even even at its best, I think religion some the the way that re, that particularly Christianity is commonly held, in it breeds a sort of complacency, mm-hmm. because at the end God has to wrap it up. Right. Um, and, and somehow you have to, and I mean, just for me, it's like, you know, you have to ask God about what to do here and how to be this and do that. And so on the, like for me personally, on the one hand, it's been good to discover my own personal freedom. It's also been challenging to learn how to use it. <laughs> it's just, wait, I have to actually figure out what's ethical and what's best. I can't just turn a page or think about what someone said in church and do it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, things like that. But, you know, I think it's a room for a number of situations to work. And so... I asked the question not to destroy religion or to destroy Christianity or whatever, but to say, hey, if you could sit with and think, if we end up at a similar place using different vehicles, that's fine with me. That's why I asked the question um, or, or, or pushed the envelope because it's like, hey, listen, for all the belief in the world, look at what's still happening. All the praying in the world, look at what's happening. Even if you're putting feet to your prayers, Look at what's happening. Right. Maybe we have maybe we have to dig deeper. Well, thanks so much. It's yeah. uh it's a pleasure to talk to you, get to know you a little bit, uh beyond Twitter and um All right, great. I appreciate the opportunity. You have a a great night and and uh, and thank you for taking the time to uh, to share with everyone here. All right, same thanks for having me. I will talk with you soon. All right. Bye. Yeah, bye bye.